Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong, and today is Europa Watch number two. Basically, this is my mini-series about Star Trek Picard's second season, where I do impromptu Europa-themed episodes every time we get some kind of a hint or name drop or glimpse of something related to the mysterious Europa mission, which is slowly but surely getting less and less mysterious by the episode. So, in episode four of season two of Star Trek Picard, titled Watcher, we have for the second straight week some kind of Europa mission activity. It comes at the very, very end of the episode where we see Q sitting in this plaza called the Jackson Roykirk Plaza. Seems like a area associated with a lot of scientific activity because Q is wearing a jacket with the Europa mission badge on it, and he's surrounded by other scientists and engineers who are also donning clothing with this same badge. So I'm guessing we're on the campus of some kind of organization that is contributing to the Europa mission directly. Jackson Roykirk, by the way, is a really deep cut reference to a 21st century scientist who was mentioned in the Star Trek the original series episode called The Changeling, which featured Nomad, that probe that was launched from Earth, got damaged, then was fixed somehow by some kind of super mechanical intelligence, and then whose mission changed from exploration of new life to the annihilation of all biological life. Uh, and so this was basically V'ger before V'ger was a thing. <laughs> uh, it's a cool episode. I recommend going to rewatch it. I rewatched it immediately after the Star Trek Picard episode last week. So anyway, it seems like Jackson Roykirk, being a scientist or a computer scientist or AI scientist from Picard's past, uh, and probably who played a very instrumental role in the early exploration of space, has some kind of role or maybe just a legacy kind of contribution to this Europa mission. Okay, so Q is sitting in this plaza, eyeing this young scientist or engineer who is sitting down at a table reading a science fiction book, and as he is watching her sit down on her coffee break or whatever, he is saying some very ominous words. Leads me to think that maybe the change in time that Q wants to precipitate happens right here and is actually very related to the Europa mission itself. Perhaps it has something to do with this woman that he is eyeing uh, who is part of the Europa mission team. It would be really cool if, in my opinion, if... What Q does to damage the timeline and shift humanity into a very dark future has something to do with modern-day space exploration. As a space scientist myself, I, you know, I'm not averse to Star Trek saying that what we do is super important, and if we do it right or wrong, uh, it could have very dramatic influences on humanity's future. You know, that's pretty cool. You know, a nice pat on the back. Yeah, you're doing something important with your life, Mike. I'm not doing anything important with my life. <laughs> anyway, so Q is sitting down in this plaza and he's reading a newspaper, the LA Times. And on the front page of the LA Times is a story about the Europa mission. Uh, 
So I've got a little screen cap of this article here. And I think what I'll do right now is just start reading it because I think it's got a lot of really cool information in it that may lead us to some better understanding of how the Europa mission might play a role in this season. And it also mentions some cool Europa facts that I want to pick apart. So the title of this article is Whale 2024 Revive Space Exploration with a subheader, Expectations are Sky High as the Europa Mission Countdown Begins. So the article begins with a quote, We've been on this path for quite some time, but now what was once theory, just endless studies and tests, has finally become our reality. We are sending humans further than we have ever gone before, says Dr. Musa, chief engineer of the Argosi Foundation. Okay, don't know who Dr. Musa is? Don't know what the Argosi Foundation is? If you Google Argosi Foundation, you come up with some kind of very nice charitable kind of foundation uh, trying to improve human life. Uh, they're based in Milwaukee, I believe. Uh, I don't think this has anything to do with space exploration. But I do want to pause here and just mention that, you know, last week we hypothesized that maybe the Europa mission was a private space mission as opposed to a government NASA mission. Uh, and it seems, indeed, it is actually a private mission funded by whatever this Argosi Foundation is. Uh, so, the article continues. In just a few short days, the world will watch in wonder as the spaceship Shango launches, embarking on a four-year-long journey. Their destination, Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. All right, I'll pause again to just comment on this. So, Shango, I googled it again. Thank you, Wikipedia, for existing. Shango is apparently a deity from an African spiritual tradition. That's really cool. Uh, and a four-year journey to Europa. So NASA's Europa Clipper mission, which is scheduled to launch in 2024, will arrive at Jupiter in 2030. But this seems about reasonable. You know, maybe they just have a more powerful rocket. I would be really concerned if they said you were going to get to Europa in four months. I would be equally concerned if they said it would take 40 years to reach Europa. Four years seems about right, so I won't pick apart that any longer. Uh, then the article continues and gets kind of cut off, but they talk something about how Europa is just slightly smaller than our own moon and how it was discovered in 1610 by Galileo. That's why it's one of the four so-called Galilean satellites, which include Io, Ganymede, and Callisto. And then uh, they talk about how scientists believe that Jupiter's moon Europa can support life. And the following couple of paragraphs I can semi-read because Q's fat finger is in the way. Uh, but, <laughs> but basically they talk about, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, that uh, Europa has an ocean, and this ocean has the conditions for life to exist, but there are extremely cold temperatures that one would need to deal with, as well as the continuous pummeling of radiation on the surface of the moon. That is the point that I want to spend the rest of the episode on, this radiation pummeling the surface of Europa. Uh, but before we get to that, let me just quickly finish what this article has to say. So apparently, Argony engineers and scientists have to design a spacecraft that will be withstanding this radiation and also sensitive enough to gather the data needed to 
investigate Europa's environment, and that this mission is a multinational operation that symbolizes the union of the very best of us. The crew embarking on this journey has not just the technical skill to reach Europa, but also is something, 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 and they're very courageous. Okay, great. So now let's talk about radiation, because this is actually one thing that makes Jupiter's moon Europa so unique. I want to touch on three aspects of this radiation. Number one, how it shapes the surface features of Europa. Number two, how the radiation may play a really critical role in making Jupiter's moon Europa suitable for life. And number three, how that radiation impacts our search for life on the surface of Europa. Okay, so let's start with just the surface features of Europa. So the Europa mission badge kind of has this interesting coloration where there's a circle and one half of the circle sort of has this blue coating on it and the other half of the circle has an orange coating. This really evokes the hemispherical dichotomy on Europa, where one hemisphere of Europa is very much colored differently than the other. One half of Europa has a very dark, reddish, orangish, yellowish coloration, and the other is much more lightly colored, kind of like a pearly, pearly white, you could say. And this is because of the radiation. So the reason why Jupiter's moon Europa is experiencing so much radiation is because it is embedded in Jupiter's magnetosphere. And this magnetosphere basically traps and entrains charged particles or ions in it. So these include protons, electrons, also oxygen and sulfur ions. Most of the oxygen and sulfur ions come from Io, which is the most volcanically active object in our solar system, and also Europa's sister moon. Because it's so volcanically active, it is constantly spewing sulfur dioxide out into space. The sulfur dioxide gets shredded to pieces and then gets ionized into sulfur ions, oxygen ions, and free electrons, and they swirl around in Jupiter's magnetosphere. Now, Jupiter's magnetosphere swings around Jupiter, orbits Jupiter, basically, every couple of hours. It basically swings around with the same time scale that Jupiter rotates. On the other hand, Europa is orbiting Jupiter at its Keplerian velocity, uh, so it takes several days for Europa to actually make a full orbit of Jupiter. So because this plasma that is captured in Jupiter's magnetosphere is swinging around Jupiter at a much faster rate than Europa is orbiting Jupiter, even though they are orbiting basically in the same direction, the magnetosphere stuff is constantly slamming ions, radiation, into the backside or the trailing hemisphere of Europa and leaving the leading hemisphere of Europa relatively unscathed. And that's what causes some of this coloration. Right now, I think the leading hypothesis is that a lot of this coloration comes from the way that radiation alters material that has been dredged up from Europa's subsurface ocean, including salts. So scientists have taken salts, put it in a environment in the lab where they expose it to the similar kinds of radiation as is experienced on Europa's surface, and have watched basically just garden variety table salt turn orangish reddish, the same color as Europa. At the same time, telescopes trained on Europa have detected the spectral fingerprints of salt. 
So these two pieces of evidence kind of come together very nicely and suggest to us that what is happening on Europa's surface is that there are salts and other material coming up from the ocean and they're getting bombarded by all of this radiation slamming into the backside of Europa. Uh, a lot of this radiation can also embed oxygen and sulfur atoms into that surface and change its color even more and cause this hemispherical dichotomy that may have been responsible for inspiring the kind of design of the Europa mission patch that we see in Star Trek Picard. That's really cool. Okay, so let's move on to number two, how this radiation can help support life on Europa. And to understand this, let me just remind everybody that one of the fundamental processes that life does is that it needs to breathe. Now, breathing shouldn't be equated to gulping down lungfuls of air that contain oxygen. That's just the way that we breathe. But there's a huge diversity to metabolisms of life here on Earth, and perhaps an even greater diversity of metabolisms elsewhere in the universe. So every living thing needs to eat and needs to breathe. In Biochemical terms, basically that means you need a source of electrons and you need a sink of electrons. Life gains its energy much as a battery does, by shuttling electrons between a negative end and a positive end of a so-called geochemical battery. So we humans consume organic matter, our food, as our electron source, and we breathe the oxygen in our air as our electron sink. But many bacteria breathe other things, such as nitrates or sulfates. Some even breathe iron as their electron sink, which is kind of wild, but really cool. So what is there to breathe on Europa, and where would that material come from? Turns out, the leading hypothesis is that it comes from the radiation interacting with ice on Europa's surface. So remember that Europa is coated in a thick layer of water ice. Water is composed of H2O molecules. And when that radiation slams into the water, you can basically rearrange the atoms there, uh, get rid of some of that hydrogen, and create, among other things, oxygen, O2, and hydrogen peroxide, H2O2. These oxidants can then potentially travel through the many kilometers of Europa's ice shell to the ocean. Now, the efficiency of that transport is very much debated right now. Some people think that it's quite efficient and you can get those oxidants down into Europa's ocean, no problem. Others think that maybe the convective motion of the ice shell will stall out that downward motion at a certain depth and it's not that plausible that the uh, oxidants will make it down to the ocean. But in any case, uh, the oxidants are definitely being created at the surface of Europa through radiation, through radiolysis, and if they can subduct into Europa's ice crust in a way that they can then be deposited into the ocean, then they might be used as an oxidant or something to breathe by alien life forms in that ocean. So basically, the radiation environment on Europa may actually be very fundamental to what makes Europa a habitable environment. All right, last thing that I wanted to touch upon with regard to this radiation is how it impacts our search for life on Europa. So let's assume for now that there are little microscopic creatures living in the subsurface ocean of Europa, feeding on the oxidants that get subducted from its surface. Some of these microbes might get entrained in little brine pockets that rise through that ice crust and eventually get sprayed out into space in those geysers that we talked about last week. 
When they do that, they might basically snow out onto Europa's surface and be available to be scooped up by a human astronaut or one of our robotic landers. So there's a really pressing question now, which is basically, will organic matter, will pieces of life survive that radiation environment for us to find them? Or will they get degraded to an extent that we would never be able to tell if that thing was once alive? So this was investigated by a paper that came out in 2018, uh, first authored by Tom Nordheim at JPL. They ran simulations about the radiation environment on Europa's surface and asked the question, at what depth in Europa's ice shell would amino acids get destroyed by radiation and at what depths would they get preserved? So in these simulations, you not just have to take into account the direct radiation of these ions slamming into Europa's ice crust, but you also need to take into account the secondary particles that get created as a result of that initial impact. Now, the secondary particles include high-energy photons, uh, basically what scientists call Bremsstrahlung radiation. As electrons, say, slam into the ice, they'll interact with the nuclei of the atoms in that ice, and as they decelerate through the electromagnetic interactions with those nuclei, they will release radiation, basically because conservation of energy must occur, they'll release that radiation as they decelerate as high-energy photons. And then those photons can then propagate even deeper into the ice and destroy organic molecules that may be present in the ice. Okay, so after you do all that crazy cool physics modeling, you come up with a map of Europa where there's enough radiation to eradicate amino acids down to a depth of roughly 10 to 20 centimeters. And these high radiation environments are situated around the equator of the trailing hemisphere. Remember, that's where all this radiation is slamming into, but also around the equator of the leading hemisphere. And that's because high energy electrons in Jupiter's magnetosphere actually kind of orbit in a retrograde motion and impact the leading hemisphere. So the best place to be if you were an amino acid that wanted to be discovered by human astronauts or a Europa lander would be at the poles of Europa. So it would be really cool if um, Star Trek Picard depicted this Europa mission. Again, I'm not getting my hopes up that we'll actually see the Europa mission in this season of Star Trek Picard, but if we did, it'd be really cool if they purposefully went to the poles of Europa, where you could probably scrape just a centimeter or so beneath the surface and find fresh amino acids, rather than the equatorial regions, where you would most likely need to dig about an order of magnitude deeper. That's not that hard, actually. Maybe that's why you need to send an astronaut there, because digging, as we know from the InSight lander on Mars, this is a long story that I don't want to get into, but basically the InSight lander on Mars, one of its primary goals was to dig a hole in Mars, uh, and it kind of didn't work very well. <laughs> so maybe that's why you need to send a human, uh, so you can dig under that ice and find those biosignatures. Okay, with that, uh, I hope you've learned something new about the radiation environment of Europa, how it is supplied in large part by its sister moon Io and all the volcanic activity that's going on there, how the radiation environment on Europa impacts the surface 
features of Europa and creates this hemispherical dichotomy that may have inspired the design of the mission patch, how the radiation environment of Europa may contribute to Europa's habitability for alien life, and how this radiation environment also impacts where we might go looking for life on the surface of that world. Okay, with that, I'm out of here. Take care. Enjoy the next episode of Star Trek Picard, and I'll see you out there. <laughs>